1: Welcome to the New Books and Political Science podcast. My name is Heath Brown, and today I'll be talking to Pamela Hurd, who is one of the authors of Administrative Burden, Policymaking by Other Means. The book is published by the Russell Sage Foundation in 2019. Uh, the book is published uh, with her co-author, Donald Moynihan. I have the pleasure to have Pam on the phone today. Pam, how are you doing?
0: I'm doing well. Thank you.
1: Yeah, thank you very much for uh, uh, sharing the book and and giving us a little time to talk about it. Uh, Maybe you could talk about yourself and and also your co-author, and then we can get on to this interesting book.
0: Sure. Um, I'm a professor in the McCourt School of Public Policy at Georgetown University, Um, And I am currently uh, visiting um, at Nuffield College at Oxford University for the year. And my co-author, Don Moynihan, is also uh, a professor in the McCourt School of Public Policy at Georgetown University and is also visiting at Oxford University uh, this year.
1: Wonderful. Um, The book uh, has an interesting dedication at the start of it. Mm. Uh, that I wanted to start our conversation with. So you you dedicate the book to the Wisconsin idea. I wonder if you'd talk uh, here at the beginning of our conversation about that dedication and maybe the origin story of the book.
0: Yeah, so um, both Don and I had been uh, have spent a good part of our career at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Um, and a, a central idea of UW, UW-Madison is, is uh, the Wisconsin idea, In a sense that um, the uh, bounds of the university go beyond uh, the bounds of the university itself um, and extend uh, uh, well beyond the state as well in terms of uh, knowledge transfer, basically. The the truth that we seek as academics at the university, um, the larger goal of that is to benefit society more broadly. Um, and so that was an idea that uh, was important to both Don and I, having spent uh, a lot of time at UW Madison and also as as uh, scholars who are really interested in public policy, sort of having a larger impact. So it seemed appropriate to to dedicate uh, the book uh, to the Wisconsin idea as a result.
1: Yeah. and and uh, the book of uh, uh, in in some 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 direct and some less direct ways relates to the changing, uh, uh, condition of the Wisconsin idea and, and uh, maybe we'll talk a little bit about that. But the book is primarily focused on on this term that is in the, that is the title of the book. Uh, I wonder if you could explain to us what what you mean by administrative burden. Uh, how do you define the, this concept because it really this is the, the central premise of the book.
0: Sure. I think instinctually most of us uh, can understand the term in a way, administrative burden. So if, you know, you show up at your local, um, DMV to renew your license and you fill out 12 pieces of paperwork and you spend four hours in line and then you get to the front and all lo and behold, you have the wrong idea or you filled out the wrong form and you're sent home again. It's essentially those kinds of interactions we have sometimes with government um, that are kind of layered with difficult bureaucracies, a, d- a difficult bureaucracy, sort of that kind of burden that we encounter sometimes in those situations. Um, And I think most of us can relate to having these kinds of experiences. The book, though, attempts to be a bit more precise in terms of how we think about the concept of administrative burden and also tries to pay a lot of attention to who tends to experience that kind of interaction with government the most. So we kind of define the concept in three ways. We talk about learning costs, which are the the process of co- kind of trying to collect information, say, about a public service um, and how they might be relevant to you, uh, you know, learning whether a program even exists, whether you might be eligible for it, um, how you might benefit from it, how you might Uh, apply for it, for example. This kind of knowledge is not innate. So a big example of this, for example, would be Obamacare or the uh, Affordable Health Care Act. Uh, About a third of Americans, for example, still don't realize that Obamacare and the Affordable Care Act, the ACA, are the same thing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, So there's learning costs. We also talk about compliance costs. So these are the burdens of following the kind of administrative rules and requirements uh, you have to work through to actually get onto a program. So completing forms, providing documentation, how often you have to recertify. So, for example, a program like Medicaid, which provides health insurance for low-income Americans, in some states you have to frequently recertify or almost essentially re- apply for that program. Those would be some examples of compliance costs. The third area that, um, or the third part of the concept that we felt was really important were the psychological costs of the experience of these administrative burdens. So a few examples of this would be the stigma of applying for certain kinds of programs. So certainly when you apply for your social security benefits when you're age 65, we don't experience much stigma with that, right? It's a program most of us will benefit from. It's a program that most of us contribute to, and it's really popular. The flip side, however, for example, is if you're applying for what's considered a more traditional welfare benefit, such as food stamps um, would be a good example of this, where sometimes there are negative associations with that program and people are kind of hindered by those negative associations to apply for the program or embarrassed that they're on the program. There's also more generally the kind of stress of dealing with these kinds of um, administrative processes. And so this is particularly when I said, you know, Certain groups are more likely to face these. Well, people with low incomes in particular are more likely to encounter these kind of administrative burdens when they interact with the state. So um, if you're, uh, for example, applying for Medicaid and you're struggling to get through that process or you make a mistake, um, you forget to pay a premium, which are which is now required in some states, you could lose access to health insurance. And if you're sick, or if your child's really sick, it's profoundly stressful try, trying to kind of manage all those ad- additional administrative processes um, for a program like Medicaid that's sort of central for your well-being. Um, or more generally, the kinds of folks, for example, who apply for Medicaid are also applying for food stamps food stamps, um, what's known as the Supplemental Nutrition Assistant Program, or of um, childcare grants, Um, folks tend to be applying for a bunch of these programs at once. And in each one of them, they might be encountering this kind of hurdle of um, loop, uh, kind of uh, hurdles that they have to uh, jump over to get through and get these benefits. Um, And they become really kind of psychologically costly over time in terms of managing all that
1: now now for many th- these sound i think like like just the hassles of life uh like those those things uh that we just deal with that are a pain in the neck but but much of the argument of the book is that that's not really the case that there are uh there are ideological there are partisan that, that fundamentally administrative burdens are are political in some ways i wonder if you yeah. could talk about that that sort of side of this that these aren't just sort of the the accident of the post office not not working as well as maybe it should. Um, yeah. How is this a political uh, book, not just a, a book about um, sort of the administration of government?
0: Yeah, exactly. So to use the uh, Obamacare as an example of this, actually. So when Obamacare was implemented, there certainly were examples of the latter, actually, of, I mean, I'm sorry, of the former, where, you know, sometimes government just doesn't work that well. Sometimes we don't, Design administrative procedures in ways that are efficient and reasonable. That happens. Um, But we also spend a lot of time in the book talking about how precisely it is a political process as well. Um, So, one of the things that we've seen with Obamacare is that because Republicans and President Trump have been unsuccessful at kind of legislatively overhauling Obamacare, the legislation still exists. They've used administrative burdens as a political tool to undermine that program. So, for example, um, they have reduced advertising for the program. They spend almost no money now advertising the program so that people know it's there, That they so that they know when the enrollment period begins, um, so that they have some help. For example, it can be a complicated program to navigate and enroll in. Um, there was a lot of evidence that for years um, people were relying on uh, supports to do that. The federal government now has withdrawn the kinds of resources it spent on providing that support to people. Um, so they've used they 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 um, winnowed down the enrollment period. Um, they cut it in half basically. So there's a period of time every year where you can enroll in the program. They cut that program in half. So 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 basically they've made it really difficult (laughs) administratively for people to get into the program by doing things like enhancing learning costs, enhancing compliance costs. Um, And in fact, at this point, enrollment, particularly this year, is down quite a bit. It's down about 20% into Obamacare, largely as a function of these administrative hurdles. Um, We've also seen uh, Republicans have been more likely to employ administrative burdens for political uh, reasons. Another example of this would be uh, abortion and access to, to, to reproductive health care rights. They were unsuccessful at <laughs> overturning Roe v. Wade. So instead, they put in a lot of barriers. This has happened at the state level um, that make it just difficult for people to get an abortion. So things like requiring people to get counseling, waiting periods, applying um, unnecessary regulations to abortion providers to the point where in many states now, actually like uh, Texas, for example, they're down to very, very few abortion providers because they can no longer afford to provide them because they have this sort of ridiculous set of regulations they're required to implement. So Republicans in particular have essentially used administrative burdens as sort of an alternative strategy um, to meet policy goals. Now, this is really
1: different than than what I think many people have come to understand as sort of the the, the message of conservatism, uh, the message of the Republican Party, which which is so vocally anti-regulatory, um, anti-government, uh, aiming to shrink government programs rather than use regulations to to change behavior. How do those two different uh, images of what uh, the Republican Party has been uh, uh, saying and what you claim it has been doing? How do you how do you square those two different uh, strategies used by by the conservative movement and, and also the Republican Party?
0: Yeah, so certainly it's the case. For example, if you look under the Trump administration, they're working as hard as they can to reduce regulations and burdens for corporations. (laughs) Right. So retrenching, you see this most effect, most aggressively, I think, at the EPA in terms of reducing environmental regulations, reducing um, kind of financial oversight or attempts to reduce oversight of uh, large banks. Um, So for corporations, yes, they've worked very hard at kind of reducing the burdens that corporations face. Um, the flip side is that for people with low incomes, um, for people, um, uh, for essentially individuals um, trying to access government programs, they exactly are operating um, in the exact opposite fashion. And in fact, kind of building these barriers and using the administrative state to make it difficult for people to access those programs um, and to basically complicate programs and make government complicated for people in ways so that they just don't want to interact with it, or um, barriers that are put in place so that they just can't receive benefits that they're actually eligible for.
1: Now, a number of the examples you've given so far have been uh, drawn from um, healthcare policy and, and related uh, social welfare policies, uh, social policies more more generally. Uh, but you have this really interesting chapter in the book about political participation and how administrative burdens and, and that, that idea uh, fits with, with voting and, and elections. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about this, because this this does shift from uh, kind of the, the administration of, of um, government programs to something else. So how does this fit with with uh, voting and elections?
0: Well, there's sort of two ways to think about that, actually. The first way is precisely what you're talking about, which is elections. So absolutely we've seen a kind of broad scale attempt uh, largely by Republicans across states to make it more difficult for people to vote. And they've done that through administrative burdens. So in in my former home state of Wisconsin, for example, they implemented voter ID rules. they've um, attempted <laughs> and they're trying once again uh, to reduce early voting periods. Um, And you see this across the country, particularly um, in Republican states, using these sort of administrative barriers to make it difficult for people to vote. Now, they're claiming, and you actually even see this with social welfare programs as well, a common refrain is that they're trying to uh, prevent fraud. So the goal of voter ID, for example, is to prevent fraud or the goal of lots of kind of administrative barriers in a program like SNAP is to reduce fraud, but we know that there are plenty of ways. Well, we know, for example, with voting, that there is very little fraud. There's almost no documentation of fraud. Um, so it's it's not an argument that's backed up by kind of any empirical evidence that that's a real problem to address. But what we are seeing um, is that these kind of barriers to voting and do, in fact, do appear to... Um, effectively reduce turnout, and they effectively reduce turnout among certain groups, particularly actually older adults, people with disabilities, um, and generally people with low incomes. I think the second way, though, it affects these burdens affect political participation is sort of a feedback effect. So... If your interaction with government, for example, if you're a low income individual who's constantly having to jump through hurdles to get access to benefits that you qualify for, um, people kind of develop a a negative view of government and kind of a negative view of what government might be able to do for them. And there's evidence in the policy feedback literature um, that that in turn kind of reduces people's political participation. So it kind of can can beat out in terms of how it how it how administrative burdens affect political participation, I think, in a few different ways.
1: Now, if you sort of accept the premise, um, and and I think you make this case uh, throughout so much detailed uh, uh, research and writing throughout the book, uh, that there, there's a number of reasons to be worried about this, and uh, starting with the inequitable way in which these burdens are borne by by some groups and not others. Uh, what could be done? You, you end the book with uh, a discussion um, uh, about a direction forward. Would you talk a little bit about um, ways that uh, these these practices uh, might be changed and improved?
0: Well, so there's a practical answer to that question, which, yes, there's a lot of ways in which we've seen um, Uh, governments um, and bureaucracies, government bureaucracies become really successful at winnowing down these kinds of administrative burdens so that people um, can both access these programs relatively easily. um, But that in ways in which we're ensuring that, you know, only people who say qualify for SNAP are actually, or food stamps are actually receiving those benefits. And these are things such as Using existing information on people that governments already have to help them enroll, um, reducing the period of time, for example, or I mean, increasing the period of time for which you need to redocument or re enroll in programs. So instead of requiring people to recertify for a program or re enroll every six months, we extend it out to a year or even two years. Um, But basically, you kind of use government and you shift the burden of documenting someone's eligibility. Onto the government and off of individuals, and there are some programs that are so effective at it that we kind of forget that there. We kind of forget how um, good government can be at doing this. So, for example, a program like Social Security. I think many of us think of that as a program that just sort of cuts checks. What's so complicated about Social Security? Um, but when you actually look at the underlying development of that program and what's required. It's not that it's a simple program. It's that we've just, a, 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 the, the sort of government has taken on the responsibility of doing things like documenting our earn, earnings, having thousands of field offices spread across the country to help people enroll when it's time to enroll. Um, we've designed that program to be easy for people to interact with. So we're really capable of doing it. It's just we need to choose to do it. And I think that's the second part of the answer to the question here is that there's we provide a lot of really detailed kind of practical ways to reduce burdens in a lot of these programs. But a bigger question is really about the politics of it, Um, because as we provide lots of examples throughout the book, Republicans in particular have really been effective at employing administrative burdens to achieve policy goals that they have when they can't do it via the courts like with overturning Roe v. Wade, or they can't do it legislatively, like when they're trying um, to overturn Obamacare. They've been so effective at using burdens. And I think Democrats have been kind of less effective at kind of countering those strategies or actually effectively kind of and aggressively pursuing um, the reduction of administrative burdens. We've been, I think Democrats um, and progressives have been caught a bit flat-footed on it. Um, and so I think it also needs to become actually a progressive goal to reduce these burdens on these programs.
1: Yeah, again, the book, the really interesting book, the, the, our, our first of 2019 is Administrative Burden, Policymaking by Other Means. The book is published by Russell Sage Foundation in 2019. The authors, who you've been hearing from, uh, Pamela Hurd and Donald Moynihan, Uh, have written this book. Uh, Pam, thank you very much for your time today.
0: Thank you so much.